The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Monday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Usually don't do this on a Monday because I travel back from... New York and Connecticut following the weekend of Football Night in America, watching the games all day, the Monday morning PFT Live show. But, I mean, this is one of those days where we crave our routines because then we don't really have to process the other things we don't want to think about. And here's all I have to say about what happened in Las Vegas. We made the point this morning during the show because I found out about what happened in Vegas at 5 a.m. We had a show an hour later. My initial thought was, I can't even do this show. I want to know what's going on in Las Vegas. I want to know what's happening there. I want more information about this. I have no interest in talking about football. But I remembered that sports is part of the diversion. Entertainment is part of the diversion. The shows that cover sports are part of the diversion. Part of the things that help us deal with the crap, right? Something to follow, something to look forward to, something unrelated to the things in life that just bring us down. And with that caveat, we went forward. And with that caveat, I go forward today. And I have nothing to offer by way of solution. I know people are trying to, and I think that's part of the way of dealing with it. I take a very pragmatic look at this. And I've felt this way for a while now. Right or wrong, wherever you stand... However you view the Second Amendment, I don't have any strong feelings about it. I just accept the fact that A, people with bad intentions have access to guns, and B, anytime you leave your house, and sometimes while you're in your house, you're subjected to the risk that someone is going to use a gun against you. It's no different than any other risk that we take. You're driving in a car, you could get in a wreck and die. You go on a flight, it could crash and you could die. You ride a motorcycle, you could wreck it, there could be a rock in the road, a deer runs out in front of you, and you die. It's just one of the risks that being a human being in this day and age has to deal with. And the thing is, most of the other risks that we deal with day in and day out have diminished in my lifetime. You know, in part because back in the 70s, we went out of our way not to wear seatbelts in cars, and the cars weren't nearly as safe as they are now, and there were a lot more drunk drivers out on the road then because there wasn't the prevalence of the effort to get drunk drivers the hell off the road. I remember worrying about house fires. They always showed us that Daffy Duck cartoon in school that scared the crap out of me. I was always worried about a house fire. Didn't have smoke alarms. Always worried about how am I going to get out of the house if there's a fire. Wanted to buy one of those ladders so I could climb down from the second floor. I just figured I would jump and take my chances with a broken leg versus getting burned up in a fire. So a lot of other risks that you have to deal with if you're going to be a citizen of the world have diminished. 
other risks have emerged. You can stay home. You cannot go to concerts. You cannot go out in public. I don't think we as a people do that. We have that genetic defect, and I'm not so sure it's a defect anymore. We have whatever it is that allows us to not think about those things, not obsess over those things. Some of us do, but a lot of us have that. It's not going to happen to me. And you know what? The chances of it happening are incredibly slim, grand scheme of things. But that's all I really have to say about it. It doesn't make anyone feel any better. Maybe it makes me feel better. Thank you for listening to me while I try to make sense of this. And there is no sense to be made of it. Car wrecks, plane crashes, house fires, motorcycle accidents, industrial accidents, slipping and falling down your steps. I mean, it's just another thing. What was that Seth MacFarlane movie, 50 Million, Di- 50 million Ways to Die in the West, a Million Dies? I, don't, I can't remember what it was. Something about dying in the West. and People were dying in the West all sorts of different ways. We've come a long way from all the different ways you could die in the West. But the one common denominator is you could get shot then, you can get shot now. I mean, that that's just life. And I don't see it changing. I don't see the momentum to reduce that risk. And the more people we have in the world, in the country, wherever, the more people you're going to have at the extremes, the more likely you're going to have somebody who is just wired in a way to go out and do something like this. It's just, it's just part of our reality. All right. When I do the Monday podcast... And I'm going to try to do it every Monday. I'm going to try to keep it simple. I'm going to try to keep it clear. And I'm trying to come up with segments for this. So there's something you can look forward to when you listen to it. So when you listen to it on Monday, Monday is called Five Down Territory. And it reminds me of that, was it a Colorado-Missouri game? I'm going to have to look this up. Remember there was a game back in the 90s where they got five downs and it was clear they got five downs? And it was just a screw job. Either Colorado got screwed or Missouri got screwed. I promise when we do this next time, I'll tell you the story of the fifth down play from, I believe, 1990, back when Bill McCartney was coaching Colorado. I may be completely wrong. Maybe I dreamed it. But five down territory. I'm going to have five things that I choose to talk about coming out of the Sunday that was. You may disagree with them. You may agree with them. You may think, man, he should have talked about this instead. You may think, why didn't he talk about my favorite team? You don't respect my team, you ass. Sorry. Let me apologize in advance. I choose the topics. Topic one, Vikings are screwed. They're screwed. Dalvin Cook was becoming more important to the Vikings offense than Adrian Peterson had ever been. Because Dalvin Cook never provided a home run play, and I don't think he was going to provide many home run plays, many instances of Paul Allen shouting, he's loose. I wish I could do that better. And he's loose. There wasn't going to be many times where Dalvin Cook got loose. It was bread and butter, meat and potatoes, running and receiving. A true dual threat on pace for 378 touches going into Sunday's game. Now gone for the year. Non-contact ACL. Chris Sims was on PFT Live today suggesting there's an issue with that field turf. I can't imagine that today's artificial surfaces are any worse than that green cement stuff that was in place up until about 10, 15 years ago. I remember Wendell Davis blowing out both patella tendons jumping on the green cement at Veterans Stadium. I mean, bottom line is, when your body is moving that fast, 
you know, sometimes your abilities to change directions exceed the ability of your infrastructure to withstand the forces that your muscles are applying. Sometimes it just happens, and it happened to Dalvin Cook, and now the Vikings apparently going to lean on Latavius Murray. That was the guy they signed in free agency to be the replacement for Adrian Peterson, but Murray had an ankle problem that either the Vikings knew about, should have known about, I don't know. He had a pre-existing ankle problem they claim they knew about. I'm dubious about that one. And then they draft Dalvin Cook, and it's like, wow, Dalvin Cook's the real deal. Well, now it's Murray with some Jarek McKinnon. And, you know, I, I say this somewhat jokingly, but also dead serious. And we argued about this today on PFT Live. They should just trade for Adrian Peterson. I understand there's a lot of baggage there. I understand there's a history there. My biggest concern isn't about anything that happened in the past. My biggest concern is that he would say whatever he needed to say in order to get out of New Orleans. Oh, I'll take 10 carries a game. I'll take 15 carries a game. I understand I'm not going to be the guy that has the ball 25 times in his hand. The offense isn't going to be built around me. I get it. I swear I'm fine. And then you bring him to Minnesota, and he's going to start complaining about not getting the ball as often as he wants to. He's going to be back in that purple uniform, and he's going to have one game where he gets loose, and it's going to take on a life of its own. But, you know, we're only one year removed from the Vikings being hopeful with Adrian Peterson to make it to a Super Bowl. Adrian Peterson and Teddy Bridgewater together. Before that, 2015, Adrian Peterson led the league in rushing. I tell you what, if this isn't working, if it's time for an annulment in New Orleans, after 27 carries, 81 yards in four games. Oh, and he had two catches for four yards, too. So he's got 29 total touches in four games. It's fewer than eight touches a game. He didn't sign up for that. So, you know, especially if the Saints are now, as Sean Payton told Fox on Sunday, evolving toward using two running backs, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, apparently the two they plan to use, trade him. Trade him for a conditional fifth-round pick. Trade him for something. And hope it goes better than the Randy Moss reunion. Doesn't that make the Vikings instantly better? Look at everything they gave up to replace Teddy Bridgewater. I I tell you what, it would have to be finesse. They would have to work it right, but I think that it makes sense. It's one of those things that makes so much sense they'd never do it. And what are their other alternatives? Sign Ray Rice? You know, a lot of teams with running backs just like to go next man up, work the guy up. Some guy that we've never heard of is going to get opportunities, and maybe they'll block for him, and the guy will move the chains, and he'll score some touchdowns, and people start grabbing him for their fantasy team, and all of a sudden, hey, we like this guy. Now, I think Adrian Peterson for the balance of the year would make a lot of sense, which means it'll never happen. Second down. See, I got a little structure to this thing. You're going to like this more with structure. Before, it was just me talking, going from one topic to the other with no rhyme or reason. Second down, five-down territory. Marcus Mariota's day-to-day with a hamstring injury, according to the team. Day to day. Now, I I find it hard to believe that a guy who was injured enough to be removed from the game, a game that maybe the Titans still had a chance to close the gap and and win, because it wasn't completely out of hand when Mariota left. I find it hard to believe he's day to day. Hamstring injury isn't day to day. You you 
strain your hamstring enough that you're limping and it hurts. And, and if anybody's, I pulled a hamstring in 1992. And oh my God. It was painful. Everything about it was painful. It was my left leg and I had a standard at the time and I had to hit the clutch with my messed up leg. And I was very active then. I know that may hard be hard for you to believe, but uh, you know, any any time I would try to do something, it, it it would it would grab again. It needs time. Now maybe there are all sorts of newfangled things they can do by way of treatment, stimulation, help Mariota, but I just don't buy the idea that he's day to day. If it was bad enough to knock him out of the game on Sunday, and and if they're so cautious that it knocked him out of the game, and he truly is day-to-day, they're going to be very cautious about bringing him back because they were cautious enough to yank him from the game. And it's caused me to focus on something that, you know, there there were so many different takes and conversations about Colin Kaepernick. And believe it or not, I really am trying to budget and balance how many times I talk or write about Colin Kaepernick. And I'm, I'm very open with my view that that lies were being told for months by sources and media were pushing them to never get to the debate of whether or not it is proper to consider non-football factors in not employing Colin Kaepernick. I think for the longest time, the NFL's default position was it's football only. You never have to have that tough conversation. You never have to potentially alienate some of your fan base by saying, we don't want the guy who kneeled. We don't want the guy who wore the pig socks. We don't want the guy whose girlfriend from time to time says things that we don't like. You never have to get into that potentially murky area. You just say it's football only. And one of the arguments when it was football only was this. Well, our starter plays a different style. We need a backup who plays the way our starter does. Okay, fine. How does that explain Derek Anderson backing up Cam Newton? And how does it explain... And I wish I would have banged this drum a little bit more. Matt Castle backing up Marcus Mariota, especially when Mariota was coming off of a broken leg suffered on Christmas Eve that kept him out of most of the offseason program. Wouldn't it have made sense to have Kaepernick there learning the offense, simulating Mariota? He's going to simulate Mariota a hell of a lot better than Matt Castle would or Alex Tanney, the trick shot quarterback who can't latch on anywhere. I respect the fact that he keeps trying, but give me a freaking break. Marcus Mariota isn't able to go. Kaepernick makes sense. Now, maybe Kaepernick wasn't going to accept being number two, but I don't think it ever got to that point. I don't think the Titans ever showed any interest, and I mention it now because if Mariota is week-to-week instead of day-to-day, today's the day that they should get Kaepernick there. And it's not just Kaepernick. I'm going to broaden this one. Robert Griffin III is a better alternative than Matt Castle. Johnny freaking football is a better alternative to Matt Castle. A mobile quarterback who can run the offense the way Mariota runs it. If there's any credibility, and there isn't, to the idea that your backup has to be exactly like your starter, why in the hell are the Titans not employing a backup who has a style like their starter? Third down. This Derek Carr back injury. Anybody that's ever had a back injury? Back spasms knock you out of the game? Oh, he'll be fine. Really? I like how Jack Del Rio said he'll be fine, and Derek Carr's position was, man, I hope he's right. This hurts. Oh, he said I'm going to be fine. That's great. When's Mr. Miyagi showing up? 
When's E.T. going to be here and touch me with that glowing finger? You get a back problem, it goes away when it decides to go away. Look what it did to Joe Flacco. Look how long he was out. His one-week injury was like six weeks. You got a back issue. And for me, I got a sacroiliac joint that every once in a while, with no warning, decides it's going to go out of whack. And it hurts like hell, and I can't do anything until it resolves itself after a week, maybe more. And the more you try to do, the more it wants to rebel. And it's not the kind of thing where you can just take Toradol and fight through it. It's structural, and it hurts. And if the Raiders don't have Derek Carr, they're screwed. And they may be screwed anyway. We get so caught up in these early season games. Marshawn Lynch dancing like no one's watching, and I wish I wasn't when he was dancing on the sideline after that win or late in the win over the Jets. Here they go, team of destiny. We're always looking for a team of destiny. There may not be one this year. We thought it was the Raiders from 2-0 to 2-2. No. So... All of a sudden, I'm concerned about the Raiders, who find themselves in third place in the AFC West. A game behind the Broncos and a tie breakdown against the Broncos after losing 16-10 to on Sunday. And potentially two full games behind the Chiefs. The Raiders are now rooting zealously for the team that kicked the crap out of them eight days ago to kick the crap out of the Chiefs tonight. Good luck with that, I say. So we'll see what happens with Derek Carr, but I'm concerned about it. That's another... T- and not that... Not that okay. If if any team would be interested in Kaepernick, wouldn't it be the Raiders? And isn't Kaepernick a better alternative to Derek Carr? I'm not Derek Carr. A better alternative to to EJ Manuel as the backup to Derek Carr? There's a lot of bad quarterbacks out there, starters and backups. That's I think that's one thing we've learned over the first four weeks of the season. There's a lot of bad quarterbacks. Bad quarterbacks are hard to find. Is it fourth down already? Fourth down. Fourth down. More energy, Florio. Fourth down. Fourth down. Patriots. Three years ago, the sky was falling on the Patriots after they got blown out on a Monday night in Kansas City. Remember that? On to Cincinnati. I remember that game. It was an embarrassment. The Patriots are done. They're cooked. Oh, my God. They're horrible. The offensive line stinks. Tom Brady had said a few weeks before that, when he got the constant, when are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? Well, uh, I'll, I'll retire when I suck. That was his line. So in the aftermath of everyone on Twitter, well, I guess he's retiring now because he sucked last night. And what happened? They got it all figured out. Early in the season. Still a work in progress. Early in the season. They're still getting to where they would have been if they had the benefit of the full load of practice time that they used to have pre-2011. Takes Bill Belichick a while to get his guys to where they need to be. And if Belichick, who is a defensive genius, was able to fix an offense that had us ready to write off the Patriots at 2-2 and three years ago, I'd like to think... He will, at some point between now and week 17, fix the defense. It's not going to be easy, though, because Thursday night they play in Tampa Bay. Tony Dungy, former Buccaneers and Colts coach, said yesterday as the 
Buccaneers are beating the Giants. Hey, that team's going to give the Patriots more of a handful than the Panthers did offensively. I'm not completely sure I agree with that because I think the Panthers woke up yesterday. I think we got a different appearance, a different version of the Panthers than what we've seen. And maybe they've gotten better since Cam Newton wasn't available to fully participate in the offseason. He had that shoulder surgery. But still, they're going to be tested. And Rodney Harrison's belief is Belichick will simplify things. Keep it simple. But if the simple reality is the players just aren't good enough, how's that going to help? What can they really do? Do they try to bring Rob Ninkovich back from retirement? He has said he hasn't slammed the door on potentially coming back. Do they try to get Darrell Rivas to come back? What kind of shape's he in? Would he be a better alternative? Or would he help a secondary that we thought was going to be locked down city with Stephon Gilmore and Malcolm Butler? Or do you just try to get the guys that you have better? Belichick has shown on offense when we were ready to write him off three years ago. You can get better. This year, their defense is the worst in the league. Yards and points. The worst in the league. They can't get worse. They can't get worse than 32nd. They're going to get better. Of any coach out there, who would you say? Give me one. If Let's just strip away the names, strip away the colors. Okay, here's my defense, and it blows. And they're the worst in the league, and I can have my pick of any coach to come in and make this group of guys better. Who do I want? Exactly. So, it'll make for an interesting Thursday, and it makes for a far more interesting season. We went into this season thinking it was going to be a Patriots coronation, and it ultimately may be, but they're going to have to get there the hard way. Fifth down. Poor Hugh Jackson. I like Hugh Jackson. Let me just get that out there in the open. And this isn't the standard, if you say with all due respect, then the insult can be justified. I like Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson has an important position, an important role, an important function in the sport of professional football. I'm just not sure that head coach is it. Hugh Jackson may be his generation's North Turner slash Wade Phillips. A guy who is good enough as a coordinator to get himself a head coaching job, but not good enough as a head coach to keep his head coaching job, which causes him to go back to being a coordinator where he becomes good enough to get himself a head coaching job, but he never becomes good enough to keep the head coaching job. It's basically the Peter Principle, the notion that we all rise to the level of our own incompetence. The problem is... Hugh Jackson, like Norv Turner and Wade Phillips, they keep rising to the level of the incompetence. Because owners prefer, some prefer, a guy with head coaching experience to a guy with none. Because you're always rolling the dice the first time you give a coordinator a head coaching job that that person's going to possess the skills to become an effective head coach because it's a different job. But Hugh Jackson has slid back and forth, and now he's back up. Someone pointed out to me, Hugh Jackson's last 25 games as an NFL head coach, dating back to 2011 when he was coach of the Raiders. So for 2012, 13, 14, 15, he was an assistant with the Bengals. But 2011, when his time ended with the Raiders, you add that into his time with the Browns. He is 2-23 and 
in his last 25 games. That That's Rich Kotite bad. And I understand that there are issues with the talent and they're rebuilding the talent base and they're infusing the roster with young players so they're not as good as... Yeah, at some point, the coach has to win games. At some point, he's got to take those raw inexperienced players who are the result of this obsession with stockpiling picks and he's got to turn them into something that can win a game. And maybe they'll get hot, but if anything, they seem like they're getting worse. They got shellacked by the Bengals and it was the ever-wise Pac-Man Jones who said, hey, my friend Hugh Jackson just doesn't have the players. Well, maybe he doesn't have the players or maybe he's a guy who is great as an assistant but just for whatever reason, can't carry the load as a head coach. And that's okay. There's no shame in that. What would you rather be, an offensive coordinator who has a safe full of Super Bowl rings or a head coach who can't get to the playoffs, who can't get to 500, who is constantly under siege, constantly feeling stress and duress? Wouldn't you rather be a successful assistant coach? We all need to know what the limits of our abilities are. We need to stay within them. There's a chance. And it hurts me to say this because I like Hugh Jackson, but there's a chance he wasn't cut out to be a head coach. It's the ultimate test of self-awareness for someone who carries around swagger and confidence like so many coaches do. They all think they can be great head coaches. They wouldn't have gotten to where they are where they're close to being great head coaches if they didn't believe they could be great head coaches. But the numbers don't lie. 2-23 and 23 does not make anyone say, that's a damn good head coach. And if it is an issue with the front office, I know they've spent a lot of time now saying there's no problem, there's no disconnect. Well, something's wrong in Cleveland, right? Last year was the red shirt year, the scholarship year, the year that we say, hey, no matter what, we are tearing it all down, and they did, and we're starting it all over, and we're going to be competitive, and we're going to do it a new way. We've got analytics and we've got who's the guy that was Paul de Podesta we got him he did it in baseball he's going to do it in football and after he's done doing it in football he's going to do it in hockey then he's going to do it in basketball then he's going to do it in soccer these skills are transferable no they're not we're going to do it this way something's not working and and I've talked to people around the league who look at what they do that this obsession with constantly flipping picks avoids the day of reckoning that there's always this vague sense of hope that a brighter tomorrow is coming because look at all these picks we have. I mean, how they've got the Texans' first-round pick and second-round pick. Meanwhile, the Texans have Deshaun Watson. The Browns may have taken the wrong Deshaun. This one's going to be an interesting apples-to-apples over the next... I don't know, however long it lasts, five years, 10 years, two years. And I like both Deshaun's. But did the Browns take the wrong one? Did this, did this obsession with always accumulating more cause them to miss out on Deshaun Watson? Caused them to miss out on Carson Wentz? Remember that story that was out last year? Well, we didn't stay put and take Carson Wentz because we didn't view him as... One of the best 20 quarterbacks in the NFL. Wrong. Now they didn't view Deshaun Watson as being one of the best two Deshauns available in the rookie class. And I get it. Look, 
They got Deshaun Kaiser and two first-round draft picks. And there are many who would say that you always get more lottery tickets if you can. You always. Scott McLuhan, the former Washington and San Francisco GM, is a firm believer in that. You don't, you don't give up your lottery tickets and go all in with one. It's better to have more and trust that you're going to get great players. The problem is, I don't know that the Browns know how to go about finding great players. Because where are the great players? When your best player is a guy who was drafted 11 years ago by people who are not currently employed in any capacity by the team, it's kind of hard to call that one a feather in your cap. And I understand, look, they're not horrible. But something's wrong. It doesn't take a genius, which qualifies me to comment on this, to say something's wrong with the Browns. It's either the coaching staff or the front office or both. And you're not working for the Steelers. And you're not working for the Giants. You're not working for an owner that is going to say, we'll give it time. It has to simmer. It may smell bad, but once it's done, it's going to taste good. Jimmy Haslam has a history of dumping employees. And Sunday was an embarrassment. And I'm going to start paying close attention to what happens to the Browns going forward because I don't know that Jimmy Haslam, and I know D. Haslam has become very involved in the running of the business. But I don't know that either Haslam is going to put up with a lot more. They have the Jets coming to town this weekend. They get embarrassed at home by the Jets. That's a problem. Then they go to Houston, where the two Deshauns will meet. Deshaun Watson, the one they could have had, if he embarrasses the Browns and the Deshaun they took, that's a problem. Then come the Titans to town from Jimmy Haslam's home state of Tennessee. If they embarrass the Browns in Cleveland, that's a problem. And then finally, the last game before their bye week, the perfect opportunity to make an in-season change. They play the Vikings in London, 9.30 a.m. Eastern time, national TV, Fox or CBS or one of them. They lose that one. In ugly fashion, that's a problem. That's a, it, may, it may come to a head before then. They don't have a Thursday night. Well, they don't have any Thursday night games this year. The NFL finally figured out, hey, one way to make these Thursday night games better is to keep the worst teams off of them. They don't have a mini-buy. they got to wait for that one at the end of October if they want to make a change in season. But keep an eye on the Browns. I'm going to keep an eye on the Browns. And I know the Browns are going to be spending a lot of mental energy denying, 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 denying any reports or evidence of dysfunction or disharmony or whatever. But... It can't, it's not sustainable, folks. Two and twenty-three from Hugh Jackson. One and fifteen last year from the Browns. Zero oh and four this year. It's not sustainable. Something's got to give. All right, I'm out of time. Five downs. Was that five downs? Five down. Five down territory. See, I like that. It's got structure. And and I'll try to have structure Tuesday and structure Wednesday and structure Friday. And who knows? Maybe maybe I'll enjoy this so much I'll. I'll do something on Thursday. But I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you downloading, subscribing, etc. It is therapeutic for me to talk, even though no one's talking back to me, which is good. Then I don't have to worry about listening. I can just talk. 
And uh, and and one last thing before we go. I mean, this Tom on top of everything else, the the thing in Las Vegas is as tragic as it can be. But then Tom Petty is dead, and one of the great American rock icons of the last forty years. It's a weird day. So we retreat to our diversions on days like this, and I appreciate you allowing me because this is my diversion. Talking to you is my diversion, and hopefully listening to me is part of your diversion, and we'll have a little more diversion time on Tuesday. Tuesday morning, though, PFT Live, 6 a.m. Eastern to 9 a.m. Eastern, full breakdown of the Kansas City-Washington game for Monday Night Football, plus everything else happening in the NFL, and check us out around the clock all day long, every day, 24 hours a day, profootballtalk.com. Thanks for some of your time. We'll do this again tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.